0: Our next speaker is currently working as a consultant with the International Council on Nursing and the WHO. He's an adjunct professor at UTS and a senior fellow at the Health Foundation in the UK. And he's just flown in from Edinburgh. He's going to be speaking to us about investing in the nursing workforce for health system effectiveness. Please welcome Adjunct Professor James Buckin.
1: Thank you, Sophie. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. As Sophie said, I arrived from Edinburgh uh, yesterday evening and. Um, In my slightly jet-lagged state, I didn't think it was wise to walk around a a stage in the semi-dark, so I'm I'm standing behind the lectern. Uh, I won't be moving for the next half hour while I do my presentation. Um, I am talking later about the cost of turnover, but not that type of turnover. So, um, essentially what I'm talking about today will be um, built around some of the key findings and recommendations from the report that you uh, see the, the, the title of uh, on the first slide there. It's um, commissioned by the International Council of Nurses, was published in March this year, and is uh, an update of um, the continuing impact of the pandemic on healthcare and on the nursing workforce around the world And what I intend doing in in terms of presentation is covering off briefly on the report itself uh, and looking in particular at the impact on nurses, highlight the fact that one of the other uh, outflows from the pandemic has been a, a marked increase in industrial action in the healthcare system around the world. Talk a little about cost of turnover and how important it is to recognize the impact on nurses but also on organisations if some of the clear and emerging challenges around uh, improved retention and support for the nursing workforce aren't effectively addressed. Um, I'm talking big picture globe, but then I'll I'll use a few pictures of a different sort just to put Australian context to give you a sense of how you match up to, to other countries and really finish focusing on what can we do, uh, which is obviously the the reason we're all here. We don't want to spend half an hour just talking about the challenges. Let's look at solutions. So um, the report on the left we published last year, 2022. And the new report, uh, which came out in March, as I said, is is the one on the right there. Um, Have things changed across the year? Uh, Spoiler alert. Not in a positive direction, is probably what I should be saying. Um, But let's keep positive and let's look at how we can address these challenges collectively. uh, And that means state, national, and international. Because if we don't all work together, uh, we're not going to solve some of the the major challenges facing the nursing workforce. So the report itself, um, I'm not going to read every slide to you. Um, you can do that yourself so just as a backdrop we um, identified I think it was around about 100 plus studies that had been published just in the last year from around the world looking at the impact of the pandemic on nurses well-being health and how that was exhibited in terms of um, health concerns turnover absenteeism and so on and really um we were able to demonstrate by aggregating up some of the the key findings that this is not a problem that's going away, much as some governments would like to pretend that's the case. Um, The acute impact of the pandemic may be over or it may just be in abeyance. Uh, There will be something like it comes back at some point. And what we've got to learn from having got through it, those of us who did, is how to improve our ability to respond next time around. Plus, in the meantime, uh, rebuilding health systems, which have had to focus so much on the immediacy and urgency of the pandemic itself. So, um, as I say, we looked around the world at studies, the evidence that was available, and um, striking findings, I think we have about 60 countries covered in these different studies. Uh, Huge negative impacts on nurses' health and well-being. Uh, Anxiety up, stress up, burnout up, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, notable. And this is across the globe. It varies, and depending on the studies, it varies in terms of um, the methods used. But this is, um, as we clearly identified, um, a global health emergency. And uh, without appropriate responses at policy level, state, national, international, without investment in the current nursing workforce and and those who will come next, uh, the gap between demand for nurses and supply of nurses is going to grow ever wider. And that is more or less the case in every country. The extent of the gap varies hugely and essentially, um, primarily I'll be talking about Australia and comparative uh, high-income countries but I will also look at just how problematic some of um, high-income country quote-unquote solutions are in terms of um, adding to the burden in low-income countries in this region and, and elsewhere. So huge scale of mental health injury trauma and what we have to then look at also is what does that mean in in terms of the reality so there's big concerns about impact on patient safety because safe staffing has dropped down if it was ever there in the first place. Around the world, intention to leave is up significantly, and that is usually a fairly decent precursor indication of nurses actually leaving. Uh, We are now beginning to see real evidence of leaving rates from the profession growing post-pandemic as well. Um, In the UK, uh, where I I work most of my my time, uh, we have in the National Health Service in England, um, more than 40,000 registered nurse vacancies, which is about 10%, so 1 in 10 posts in the NHS is not filled, and uh, the retention rates are reducing, the turnover rates are increasing. Uh, You don't need a sophisticated computer model to tell you that that is problematic now and is likely to get even more problematic unless it's effectively addressed. At the core of this is the impact on individual nurses. Um, We tend to look at system and organizational level and aggregate that up, and you then lose some of the the human condition involved. And one of the major concerns that we highlighted in the report is uh, a continued reference from organizations to individual nurses being resilient and somehow that was going to get them out of the problems that they in some cases have created themselves so very clear theme in our report and I know it resonates here and elsewhere we can't focus on just emphasizing resilience of individuals we've got to be looking at organizations duty of care and ability to reflect and respond to the growing concerns that are clearly there. And uh, I'll come back to some of the solutions we've put in place in the report towards the end of my presentation. So um, other outfall from the pandemic, um, huge increase in industrial action and strikes around the world as nurses and other health workers and midwives have found governments to be lacking in responsiveness in terms of their uh, huge and growing concerns around safe staffing, and in some cases, inability to pay on time, pay effectively, pay well, invest in the workforce. Uh, This includes the UK for the first time, which in England had um, national nursing strikes, you probably know about over the northern summer, uh, but has been replicated in many different states and countries, including, I know, several states here in Australia. So, um, a a message there that the lack of investment is not going to get us anywhere. Uh, We recognise the concerns manifested through industrial action. We need to look to governments and other organisations responsible for employing nurses uh, to get on top of this issue much more clearly. One of the ways of doing that is to just look at um, some of the real organisational costs. I'm I'm putting this slide up just to give you a sense of scale. I'm not suggesting we lose sight of the individual impact, but if you're looking at health systems or organisations and you begin attaching money, dollar signs, pound signs, euro signs, to the cost of turnover, it gets you in a better place when you're trying to uh, influence change from organizations. Again, I'm not going to lead, read through these one by one, but these are drawn from various countries, recent studies, and uh, huge organizational cost in turnover. If you can, as an organization, just reduce turnover by better responding and improving retention, uh, there are significant potentials in terms of, this is a different sort of sustainability, but it is sustainability of the workforce, investing in nurse workforce sustainability. Uh, And the final bullet point there, I just threw in um, one estimate of the, the real cost of the pandemic. I don't even know what a trillion dollars looks like, but clearly um, the even this loose measure, the huge impact of the pandemic, the, the more we do to ensure that we mitigate current effects and we're better prepared for, for the next one, uh, the more we can look to uh, try and get those costs down. That's kind of the first part of my presentation. So it's just very quickly showing you some of the the key analysis that we had in the report. As I said, it's global in perspective, but we have picked up on uh, what different countries are are seeing happen, and much of it was informed by discussions we had with nursing associations, including New South Wales in terms of receiving information that we could use to build into the report. What I'm gonna do in the next three or four slides is just put Australia in context, Uh, a few quick graphs give you some sense of how you look compared to other countries, um, and then move on from that to look at international recruitment. So just uh, first slide up there, that's um, nurses per thousand population um, as reported by the Organisation for Economic Cooperation Development. It gets data from each country and it provides comparative analysis, comparative graph. So Australia, they're, they're on the, the left there, um, the, the red column. And next to that, I've just put up um, a selected range of other high-income countries. And as you can see, you know, there's significant variation, but you are, um, you're, you're not top of the league, you're not at the bottom either in terms of high-income countries. And if you looked below that at state level you would see variation between the states. If you looked within states, again, you would see variation. But this is a a high high level picture. What I've done on the right there is just drop in four of the uh, countries which are lower lower middle income countries, which are relatively near you in in terms of geography. Um, And those include uh, Fiji, uh, Vanuatu, Indonesia, and um, no surprise, they're probably running with um, something like a tenth the nurses to population ratio, as Australia is. So uh, to the extent that we talk about nursing shortages, most systems have nursing shortages, but if you compare high-income countries with with lower-income, the scale of the challenge in low-income countries is just that much more pronounced. Um, and this is, um, this is another interesting one. This is graduate nurses coming into potentially the workforce. So they are graduates that year um, relative to population size. So it's a very, very loose measure of potential replacement, new nurses possibly coming into the workforce. Um, The the good news for you is that you're towards the the higher end in in OECD countries in terms of the graduation rate. Um, I think Switzerland, Korea might be above you. Um, But you are looking relatively in in a potentially good place, but the challenge there is not just looking obviously at how many are graduating, it's how they are enabled to move into productive jobs, contribute, be well paid, look at nursing as a long time career. Um, Otherwise you have to ramp up the graduation rate without uh, anything being done about attrition and you're still in a bad place. So um, you're roughly okay in terms of comparison to other high income countries for nurse population ratio. That doesn't mean the nurses are in the right place with the right skills and uh, is there a sufficient, is, is a moot point. You're graduating relatively, uh, a fair number. What I want to do now is just look at the connection between each, each country in terms of nurse flow, work, nurses moving from one country to another. Um, and this is something that is causing increasing concern. Um, and even my few hours back in Australia, I've already had um, some discussions with people today about uh, international recruitment, uh, the extent to which a number of high-income countries, including Australia, um, are becoming increasingly reliant on using that solution, quote-unquote, to domestic shortages. Um, Again, won't read through this in in detail, but it's increasingly being used, uh, Australia, Other countries, such as the UK, uh, US, beginning to move back into this, Canada, Germany, large, well-resourced countries that have somehow not been able to resource their nursing workforce demands from domestic circumstances, and are therefore shifting increasingly to uh, exploiting international markets. Big concerns there about impact about ethics, um, there is a right for anyone to move, so a nurse should be able to move and practice if she wants to and is enabled to by by regulation um, or qualification, etc. However, the extent to which the numbers are scaling up rapidly is causing alarm bells because countries with low resources in terms of nurses, are seeing many of those nurses go. Uh, the UK is very prominent in international recruitment at the moment. And I mean, I've heard stories of uh, complete intensive care unit nurses in Uganda moving on block to the UK. And they can't be replaced. So we're not just talking about numbers, we're talking about scarce skills that take a long time to replace. And within your own Orbit and remit. Um, you know I've heard stories of Fiji losing a lot of its nurses and those again cannot easily be replaced. So what do we do? We need better monitoring of what's actually going on. A lot of what we hear is secondhand or it's in the media. We need to work with uh, nursing associations and regulators in the countries that we are recruiting from to be very clear about what the numbers involved are, and the skills, so that's better monitoring. And ICN advocates the use of a self-sufficiency index in terms of looking at the extent to which high-income countries are able to meet their own requirements for nurses from their own resources, and I'll come to that in the next slide. Um, the WHO, World Health Organization, has a code of practice on international recruitment which all countries are supposed to uh, conform with. Uh, One of the limitations in the code is it's voluntary. Another is that it relies on good monitoring. And as I said, that's far from perfect at the moment. We need better understanding what's going on. The code does have what is usually called a red list of countries that should not be targeted for active international recruitment. There are just over 50 countries on that list. The phrase is active recruitment, so that gives a bit of an out in terms of how do you demonstrate it was active. Uh, Put in context, the UK last year recruited about 6,500 nurses from red list countries um, out of the 25,000 that that came from other countries. So there's very rapid increased focus on recruiting from countries that... We should not be recruiting from. Now, whether or not that was active recruitment or somehow all those 6,500 nurses made all the effort themselves um, is um, open to question, shall I say. But it's something that does need, I think, um, a better handle on. Final point. India and Philippines, by far, the two largest source countries for active recruitment. Now, the picture for them is slightly different. Both those countries, most nurses pay for their own training and they do that with the intention of moving earning more in other countries so the dynamic is somewhat different but even there uh, particularly in the Philippines there are concerns about their ability to meet their own healthcare demands post-COVID with uh, there are more Filipino nurses working in other countries than there are in the Philippines um, so we, that needs to be given some consideration as well so um, how does that look Uh, in terms of self-sufficiency indicator. Just a point-in-time measure, you're on the the left there, about, I think it's 15% of your nurses have come from other countries. You look across the variation there, huge differences. Um, New Zealand is one of the most reliant on international recruitment, but the reason it's reliant on international recruitment is you keep stealing its nurses. Um, and in some cases, its nurses have only been in New Zealand for a matter of months, and they're using the Trans-Tasman Agreement. They get into New Zealand, and then they're coming here because you tend to pay more. So we are all connected, um, our actions have impacts on other countries, on the nursing workforce in other countries. We need to keep that in mind when we look at solutions uh, to our own challenges. So finally, what's going to be done, what solutions uh, the report um, has a, a fairly detailed blueprint in both at national level and international. But the four key core themes that we identify need to be looked at in every country. Safe staffing, working conditions, pay and career opportunities, support for respite, health and well-being, particularly in the, the situation we're in terms of burnout and full participation by nurses and nursing associations in development and implementation of rebuild strategies. What we're seeing emerging in many countries now, Australia is one, is the pandemic has accelerated the need to look at more effective workforce solutions. And those can be positive, potentially. We heard earlier today about AI, uh, but there is also the risk, uh, and this is emerging in some countries, that because the shortage of nurses, we'll just use more care assistance. And somehow that's going to fix the problem. So um, there is um, an opportunity but a threat in there. Those are the four key core themes. Uh, This is um, a longer list in two columns, national, and you could actually put state at the top there because it's At what level are you dealing with a government that's responsible for delivering health, um, for supporting training? And on the right-hand side there, internationally, this is where we've collectively, as nursing associations, have to get together, uh, work with ICN to try and ensure that some of the potential and actual negatives that are happening are mitigated or reduced and some of the potential positives are, are enhanced. The first there on the international side, support uh, and update the state of the world's nursing. That was the first ever global report on what the nursing workforce looked like. Um, It's very detailed, it was published in 2020 by World Health Organization. Um, With, in a sense, awful timing, it reports on what the world looked like before the pandemic and was published just as the pandemic was hitting. But um, the good news there is that um, we heard at the ICN Congress last month, commitment from the WHO Director General that they will now update uh, the state of the world's nursing. So we will have the ability to look at the 2020 report, which essentially is a benchmark for how things looked before the pandemic, with one that will come in as we begin to understand the extent of the impact and the need to do something about the supply demand gap. Um, Commitment to ethical international recruitment, I've I've mentioned that. Nurse workforce impact assessments. this, This issue I highlighted earlier, cost of turnover. What is the impact on the nursing workforce in your organisation? To what extent is turnover up? To what extent are absence rates up? Do you have sufficient plans in place for replacement strategies for those who are probably or in some cases already have, retired early. Read the report um, if you want to look at this in more detail. And what I'm just going to do now is just conclude with one final slide, uh, and hopefully there's enough a bit of time for Q&A. Why does this matter? Well, um, I don't need to sell that it's important to the, everyone in the room. Um, you're already living it. You understand it. But what we've got to do is make sure that through partnership, advocacy, political action, influence, that those in positions of power and influence beyond nursing get it um, and act accordingly. So we need to recognize the impact of the pandemic and something really urgent going on there. Um, It's either that or I'm being called back home. Um, Big concerns around healthcare delivery universal health coverage, sustainable development goals. At the moment, they've been knocked off the rails by the pandemic and the extent to which we have global commitments in that area, they're looking increasingly problematic unless we get them back on track. And part of that is about having the workforce to deliver. And if you want the workforce to deliver, you are primarily talking in terms of health professions about nursing and midwifery. They're the two professions who are everywhere. That care needs to be delivered. Health is wealth um, is something that we need to keep factoring in. Um, Investment in nursing, investment in health, has a payback in terms of improved economy. So when it comes to influencing those who make decisions on economic uh, and fiscal matters, they need to get it. They need to understand that if they don't get it, they are contributing to reduced economic opportunities, reduced wealth. Uh, I'll just leave you one final stat. The uh, Institute of Health Metrics, um, again, just before the pandemic, did a a study. And at that time, they estimated that we needed 30 million more nurses than existed at that time, if we are going to deliver universal health coverage around the world. that's a big number, it's almost too big to, to think about, but if you break that down state by state, country by country, it becomes achievable uh, with the right commitments from those who make these sort of decisions. Uh, thanks very much for your attention, and uh, if there's time for Q&A, I'll be very happy to do that. Um, I need to leave to get a plane, fortunately not back to Scotland. Um, I'm only going as far as Adelaide, but um, thank you for your attention.
0: Thank you, James. We do have time for Q&A. We do have time. We do have time. For, and we've got lots of questions that have come through the app, so thank you. Um, so uh, Jessica's asking, why do you think governments insist on burying their heads in the sand when it comes to the massive gaps, and it's probably not just the Australian government she's referring to, in the nursing and midwifery workforce, that they insist on ignoring the cries of people, a lot of people in this room, probably on the front line, about the fact that there are just are so many gaps in, in the workforce. Yeah.
1: Um, I think it's unfair to characterise all governments as, as, as being the same. Um, however, um, there is a very large pit of sand and there are, I think, quite a lot of heads in it. Um, <laughs> it comes back, uh, at core, it comes back to two issues. One is electoral cycles. Uh, Governments Hmm. want to say they've done stuff quickly, and some of what we're talking about is very difficult to do quickly. So it's holding them to account to a a longer timescale, I think, is very important. The second is it's complicated and difficult and probably quite costly. And, And none of those are things that governments like having to deal with, particularly. But, you know, there are examples. So here, you know, you're working with state government and you're making progress. Uh, Scotland, where I come from, um, the government there, we're just beginning to uh, look at the range of issues that I've highlighted through a ministerial task force and the nursing workforce. So we're collectively, nationally, unions involved, looking at what we need to do our, around retention, attraction and so on. And um, worth recognising that I mentioned strikes in the UK earlier, We didn't have nurses' strikes in Scotland. The unions and the government reached agreement, implemented a new pay award with um, added issues to examine, and one of those is reducing the working week as a uh, reflection and recognition of stress. So I think if you can influence... It's about getting your narrative right, backed up by evidence, and and action where it's required.
0: Okay, we've got a few more questions. I might try to get through a few quickly. Mm. Um, One was um, from Bree, she's saying, do you believe that re-adopting hospital-based training could relieve some of the challenges of recruitment in in retention in Australia? Oh, that doesn't sound very popular with the audience.
1: Well, I mean, if I I want to get out and back, and out the back exit. (laughs) I I should probably only respond to that one way, but it would be the way I responded, which is, um, anyway, which I think is, that feels to me quite retrograde. It would be the wrong Mm. reason to do that. We need to be looking, and frankly, um, here and in most other countries, we need to be looking as a priority at nurses working in primary care, community Mm -hmm. care, remote rural. Mm.
0: There's another question here about um you talked about what's happening in different countries, particularly developing in low-income countries, and Liz is asking, Liz McCall, do we have the right to dissuade nurses and midwives from staying in their low-income countries and coming here if they want to move here with better working conditions, particularly if it would benefit them and their families?
1: Um, we don't have any right. In fact, I think the preeminent right should be that of the individual to move, hmm. um, assuming they're free to do so and um, they have the right qualifications. But What we need to be looking at, number one, is um, if low-income country governments have paid for the training of these nurses, they're quite often linked to that, a requirement to work in the health system in that country for a period of time. And that is not always being respected by recruiters. So Mm. that's something we need to be monitoring. And then what we need to do beyond that is have bilateral agreements between recruiting countries and those that are recruiting from to be clear that the nurses who move will get fair and equitable treatment, and that's not always happening, Mm. Um, and that if there is a risk of negative impact by that recruitment, the countries involved at the end point of recruitment need to be working with these low income countries to improve their healthcare.
0: Okay, fantastic. Uh, Another question from Emma Harrison's asking, could Making nursing more attractive as a career option for men help address this shortage, and how could we do that? How could we make it more appealing for more men to come into the profession?
1: Um,
0: Pay? <laughs>
1: okay, right. Um, so here, here's, here's, just, here's, a stat from, here's the stat from the UK. Proportionately, there are roughly the same number of men working in nursing in the NHS now as there were when it was set up in 1948. Uh, oh. So as, proportionally, a proportion, as a proportion, not n- right. as numbers, as a proportion. Uh, I have some concerns about saying, um, get more men in and that mm. will solve the problem. I, th- I think if we're only going to look at segments like that, we need to recognise it's not pay more because we need more ner- men in nursing, it's pay mm. more because nurses deserve to be paid more.
0: Yeah. Ooh, I think that's a popular answer, that's a good answer. And a few people have asked this, and you did touch on it at the end, but what are the best measures that can be taken? You, you talked about um, a lot of nurses planning to leave and leaving. What are the best ways to retain staff so that they don't leave?
1: Mm.
0: Ratios?
1: So I think, it would, yeah, I mean, it would go back to probably the, the four key points I made. Safe staffing mm. is one. So you need some sort of system in place where nurses can be confident that when they turn up at work, um, they are going to be in a safe working environment and patients will be mm. safe. But the second key point, I think, is career structures with decent pay and the ability for nurses, if they wish, to progress up a career ladder. Uh, and something that this country needs to focus more on is uh, significantly increasing the um, opportunities for nurse practitioners and others working in mm. advanced practice. Yeah, we
0: heard about this morning, that's for sure. Uh, and this is a question from Mark about Fiji. Uh, he worked in Fiji this year. He said nurses there have had no pay rise for 15 years, so they're leaving quicker than any. They can't train them. They, As soon as they get trained, they want to they come to Australia.
1: Yeah, I think that, that nicely encapsulates the, the challenge and the complexity and the individual impact. And, yes, you can understand why those nurses would uh, look to move. I think what uh, Australia needs to be looking at in that particular context is um, it's a a major partner to Fiji in terms of improving health systems, uh, improving uh, education in Fiji. It needs to work out a way where uh, it's not giving one hand and taking the other, and and that's looking at bilateral government-to-government agreements, for example. Um, There are even worse situations as some countries in sub-Saharan Africa, particularly, where nurses aren't being paid uh, for various reasons. So we we need to look at rebalancing, and that is in part about government-to-government engagement, but also uh, nursing associations, uh, as this one already is, reaching out, working with uh, their comparators in countries that are being impacted to work, work our way through. And that can be done also via international council nurses.
0: Now we've just got one last question for you. I'm not sure whether you're going to have time to do this, given you've got to jump on another plane. But Lynnie Green is asking, and 40 people have upvoted this question. Could you please give this presentation to the New South Wales Premier, Chris Minns, tomorrow? <laughs> um, well,
1: well, we'll, we'll it, at least send him a copy of your slides. Uh, about that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that wouldn't be quite the same, would it? Um, no, we need. I mean, if, 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 if it could be arranged, I'd be quite happy to have a discussion with them online, teams, there whatever.
0: There you go. Well, we'll see what we can do. Give James a big round of applause. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much, James. That was amazing. Thank you. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that this land was never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.